All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thank you for joining us here on a nice Wednesday. Tim, how are you? How's it going there in North Carolina? Oh, it's going well. It's a dark, cloudy, rainy day, which is kind of nice. It's relaxing. So, yeah. How are you doing up there? It gives you time to sit back with your... um, uh, what's What's a a book that is like a classic i, I was trying to think like a, um, a classic writer. catcher in the rye catcher in the rye great book gatsby contemplate your life and just really sit and just exist in your feelings is that what you're gonna do today i was reading plato this morning and you're just right on brand for you <laughs> right on brand but i'm you know i'm doing okay we have I, I have an issue at the house so just we one? have a lot of, one. Well, many this, this one's the most pressing. We have a lot of kids in our family who are just starting to just really get a handle on the, the septic system and they're really enjoying <laughs> flushing the toilets. Uh, so my, my drainage field is overflowing. And I'm like, gosh, what do I do? I've never dealt with anything like this. So it's just, yeah, the, the, the water's leaching up to the surface. It's starting to stink a little bit. It's right by my wood pile. So I have to go buy it every day when I get a fresh load of wood. So they do sell something called Robec, Robic, where you can kind of dump in your toilet and it'll eat the, the blockage, I guess, cause you, your cleaning supplies kill all the good bacteria in your septic tank and you need the good bacteria to keep the, the tubes clean in your drain field. Do you know how septic systems work? Very basically. You, all your waste from your house goes into a big tank. Yeah. The solids sink to the bottom and then everything else just goes to the top and it drains out all the water, the whatever. And that goes into a leach field. And it's usually three tubes that are dug under the ground and they just get absorbed into the ground. Those tubes are clogged right now with some kind of either fat or something from the house hair hair whatever but it, they're they're clogged so good bacteria will go and break up that stuff so 
I'm going to dump some stuff down the drain today and see how it goes. But if that doesn't work, I got to dig up my yard and put in a new leach field, which is not fun in December when you're trying to dig. So I would probably just have to wait until May and just continually get my tank pumped every couple of weeks or months. And that's 150 bucks a shot. So I don't know. It's just kids. They flush everything down the toilet. Everything drives me bananas. And they, again, this week, a full roll of toilet paper I find in the garbage. I'm like, what do we do? Like what happened? Well, it fell in the toilet. I'm like put it by the fire and reuse that. That's toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> what are we made of money here? Oh boy. But yeah. So, and, and another strange, this is hockey related. Christopher, Chris Tang had a stroke. What's good. This is his second stroke. Is he done playing hockey forever? Like this is strokes. Aren't something it's just like, Oh, I, I tweaked my ACL. I tore my, you know, this and that my meniscus. I'm going to go in and get something cleaned up. This is a serious thing. Let one stroke is scary. Now he's had two. His his previous one was a minor stroke in 2014. Is Crystal Tang done, Tim? What's your gut reaction to this? Because this is a scary situation. It's very possible, and 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 not to make light of it, but the strokes kind of work the same way that broken noses do, in that once you've done it once, it's very, very easy to do it again. Like, once you have that first broken nose, it doesn't take much to break it again after that. And strokes kind of work in a similar way. And so it's 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 crazy to think that he's already had two, because what's he, 35 years old? The first one was in 2014. Um, so he was, you know, in his 20s at the time, and, and it's it's pretty rare that someone that age, especially, you know, a high end performing athlete would deal with something like that. So he had it on Monday, they said, and they basically said there's no really lasting effects, but obviously they have to be super careful. And you're talking about um, the, the, the health of the person now, not the health of the player. And especially at his age with his career, I don't think there's any shame in, and being super careful and even potentially hanging up forever. It's just a bummer that a guy like this wouldn't get to go out on his own terms. If that is the case. Yeah. So they think, and and they believe this is a reason for his now multiple strokes is he has a small hole in his heart. He was born with it. And my oldest daughter was born with the same thing. I can't remember what the technical name for it is, but when you, your heart beats a small amount of blood, just gets lost. And so you you can't either. Well, what they told my daughter is you can't have, you can't exert yourself or you could get really, you could have a stroke. Something really bad could happen. So it, it's a, I think my daughter's healed over. They said that was a common thing where it heals over, or you'd have to go on and have surgery and have that whole, I think clogged or sewed up or whatever. It's just very scary. Whenever it comes to your heart, whenever it comes to strokes, I don't know a lot about strokes. I, I really don't. I, I'm totally just oblivious to this sort of thing. But yeah, gosh, gut reaction, man. You 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 can't. He's a husband. He's got kids. He's done enough. You just. You, I don't know. At what point do you just walk away when you say it's not worth it anymore? Right. Yeah, it's got to be going through his mind, especially like he has nothing left to play for. He's won everything. He's he's done everything. There's no like little lingering chase that he's got that maybe is urging him to come back and play other than just the, the chance for another ring, the chance to keep doing what he loves to do for a living. But 
I, if it was me, it's easy to say from my, my chair, but if it was me, I'd say this, this is the time to hang it up and, and not for nothing. I don't, I, this just happened on Monday, but he hasn't really been quite right all season long. We talked about it for as good as he was last year at this point in his career to have that put up those sort of numbers. He hasn't looked right all season long. The points haven't been there. The production hasn't been there. The Penguins haven't looked that great as a team, but like Crosby and Malkin have still been doing their thing. And the Tang just seemed like age has finally caught up with them. So I wonder if there was something that was lingering, you know, this whole way along. I don't know. Yeah, he He's had to carry this defense all season long because it gets pretty thin on the back end for the Penguins. If you have to get Latang out of there, he's leading the team, the defense in all major statistical categories, whether it's on ice points, whatever it may be, he is, He's carrying the weight on that back end. You you take him out of the mix. What are you left with? Petrie Dumoulin? There's it's going to be on Petrie. Petrie is going to have to carry that workload, especially the offensive side. He's the only one and who's if you close want enough. Jeff Petrie, if he's your 1A on the power play, Jeff Petrie, I'm sorry. We talked about five forwards on the power play, and I don't want to get into like power play, this and that, positional play. But, yeah, it's it's a tough loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're Yeah, they're trending downward. And this is not helping them. So anyways, moving on. I just wanted to touch on that because it was wild. It's crazy to hear a hockey player getting a stroke. What were you going to say, Tim? They're going to go out and get Chichurn, I bet. They're the team that would do it. They're the team that makes things happen. He would fill that gap. Well, they did it when Rutherford was there. Hextall, he doesn't have the same flash and bang and just, you know, gambler's mentality as uh, Rutherford does. Hextall seems to be more just, I don't want to say close to the vest because he did, you know, kind of wheel and deal this summer with Latang and Malkin and Rust and re-signed everybody when he should not have done that. But you think they're going to make a move right now? What are they sitting fifth in the fifth in the division right now? They're definitely out of the playoff spot. No, they're in the Ooh, They're right on the now. bubble right now. They're fourth. Yeah. Why do you, you honestly, you honestly believe that they're going to go out and get Chitron? I mean, they could, they, they easily could. And I would think, yeah, it, it kind of matches up perfectly. And Chitrin would obviously not be that cheap to go get, but cap wise is very, very cheap. So yeah, why not? If you feel like you can make a push, they obviously still believe in this group, or they wouldn't have brought these guys back. And the top dogs are still playing well. We talked about it before, like Brian Rust isn't playing that great. Jane Getzel has been good, but not great. He hasn't taken a step forward. Like we thought maybe he would. So why wouldn't you give a shot at bringing that guy in? Just mortgage your future. Why? I don't know. Get, you're giving up a first rounder and a they prospect. They don't have a future. They don't have a future. Well, they have at least they have a first rounder for next year. Yeah. And 2024. Like you're giving up at least one, potentially multiple first round draft picks for a guy who puts you in a win now mode. Are they going to be competitive in three years when Crosby's 38, Malkin's almost 40, Latang? If he's around, it'll be 38, 39. It's, no, you can't do that. Even the younger guys, air quotes, are all 30. They're going to be 33, 34. So, I don't know. We, did, we didn't plan on talking about Pittsburgh. But, yes, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves and say they're in the – if there is a sweepstakes for Jacob Chitrin, they should not be in it. All right. A team right below the Pittsburgh Penguins last year had an unbelievable season. I f- think they finished with 115, 116 points. They were just incredible. Took Tampa Bay to six games, really put a scare in them. Wanted to take a step forward this year. We're going to build on everything we learned last year. 
young team, a lot of high-end talent, great defense. Nothing has worked this year. The New York Rangers, in the midst of a massive slump this November, they're 5-8, and eight, and this is massive for them. They are Stanley Cup contenders. Let's not beat around the bush. After what they did last year, both their goaltender, both their strength up front, both their defense, they have they check every single box of what you would want in a Stanley Cup contender. They are struggling. They've lost three straight, five and eight in November, dropped out of a playoff spot. They are just scuttling. They're not playing well, Tim. What are the reasons? You're a New York insider. I haven't said that in a while because you've just been taking a break, but you're back. You're a New York Ranger insider. What is going on in the Windy Apple? <laughs> the Big Apple. It's funny because... The big Apple, they, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> um, their schedule has not been that tough in, in November. It's not like you can blame it on the division or whatever. They've played 13 games. They've only won five in November. And in that stretch, they've played Philly. they played Detroit twice, Nashville, Arizona, Seattle, San Jose, Anaheim, those are teams that they should go whatever in nine and zero against eight and one seven and two, and so they went about five hundred against those teams, and that's just not good enough. And so I don't know because it, it reminds me a little bit of the Islanders last year, where the year before they took Tampa to the limits in the playoffs, and we kind of thought, okay, Tampa's getting a little bit older, maybe the the miles are wearing on them, and this is going to be the Islanders, you know, conference now, their division at least. And then the Islanders took a major step back. And then last year, the Rangers took them to the brink, and they're not ready yet. Tampa's still the better team. But you kind of think, okay, Shesterkin's on the way up, all these young stars, it's going to be the Rangers team from here on out. And it just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened, and I'm not totally sure why. Well, I'm not ready to sell the Rangers just yet. I I do do think a lot of this is just, I don't want to say, I hate to say luck because I I do think you, there's no such thing as really luck in the NHL. You have to work to create your luck and then you also cause your bad luck. And I think one of the things that's playing against them right now is they can't hold a lead. Uh, I think when they get up, they change the way they play. Gerard Gallant, for whatever reason, there's a lot of old school coaches that do this. You get up two, you get up three, you change your attack mentality. You go more into a shell. You try to hold the lead instead of increasing your lead. When you look at the four, I think four of the five losses they had in November, which was eight, they had a lead going into the third, whether it was two, nothing, whether it was three, nothing, even the last two games, they had a lead going into the third period or not the third period, excuse me, the big one versus the Rangers or the Oilers, excuse me, on Saturday, they were up three, nothing going into the third Edmonton storms back four straight goals, lose the game last night, Monday night, they're playing the devils. They get two, two goals right out of the gate. Then they completely changed the way they play the game. The devils come back, boom, five, three game. It wasn't even close after they went up two nothing. So I think that attributes to it. Gallant's coaching style last year at worked. Nothing he did failed. He was just pushing all the right buttons. Shesterkin covered up for a lot of their mistakes. And I think this year he hasn't. That's the thing with Shesterkin. He set the bar so high. No, everyone's saying, oh, he's playing terrible. He's playing per- terrible. He's still playing pretty good. He's 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 playing just like every other goal in the NHL. But last year he set the bar so high and he made up for a lot of the Rangers mistakes to where now that he's maybe looking a little bit more human. I think we're becoming aware of the Rangers issues more than they we saw them last year just because they were winning games because he was stealing them games regularly. So I think one of them is they can't keep a lead. Two of them is their roster makeup. Going into the draft, when you're looking to draft players, 
a couple years ago, Alex Lafreniere, consensus number one pick, right, Tim? He was the guy. You draft him. His position is left wing. We talk about Lafreniere a lot. We talk about Kako a lot. We talk about Chittle a little bit. These are their kids. These are their future. These should hopefully be our present. Doing a little bit more digging, are they doing Lafreniere a disservice by drafting this guy number one overall and then not playing him in his most comfortable position? Lafreniere is a left winger. He succeeds in the left wing. You need to put him with skilled players. You can't do that if he's playing left wing. Their top two left wingers are Kreider and Panarin. Is he going to supplant one of those two guys? I don't think so. So they've been trying to move him around. They've been playing him at right wing up on the first line, right wing on the second line. He's settled on left wing on the third line. Does he get the opportunities he needs to succeed when he's playing third line minutes, not on the first power play unit, gets maybe 25, 30 seconds on the second power play unit? And I'm not making excuses but we talked about how he's struggling this and that I've been his biggest critic. Maybe I've been a little too hard on him. I've just been doing a little bit more research and I don't think they've given him that fair of a shake to succeed at the position that he's supposed to play. Mind you, should he be able to adapt? He's a young guy. He's had a few years now to maybe learn the right wing a little bit, be a little more comfortable. But if you had your preferred position, you want to play that position. That's, that's just how it works. I know it, what do you think about the situation, Tim? I have no sympathy for him. And are they doing him a disservice? No, they've given him every chance to succeed. This is his third season, and he's played left wing for most of it. And a lot of it was like on the third line, little bits of chemistry. I understand it's frustration when you when you've got those Kreider and Panarin ahead of you in the depth chart. You're not getting top six minutes at your preferred position. But this is the NHL. Like guys find ways to make it work. Look at what Kirby Doc's doing. He's a natural center. Now he's thriving on the wing, playing with two great players. Look at like Jake DeBrus flips between left and right wing all the time. When, depending if he's on Burgess' line or Krejci's line, who's on the other side. Like, guys do it all the time. And, and Lafreniere has had plenty of chances and plenty of games at left wing, wood-skilled line mates, and still hasn't produced to a consistent high level. And so, I mean, I'm, if you ask him, I'm sure he would say, sure, yeah, I'd rather play left line, left wing, and rather be in the top six. But that's no excuse. It's been it's big enough of a sample size that we can say that something's not working here. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to poke holes in my narrative of he's not working, but it, it does raise a little bit of a flag for me that maybe Gallant isn't managing his young players like he should. These guys are high-end skillful guys, and I'm just questioning if they do go somewhere else, like Martin St. Louis said about Kirby Doc getting exodus from Chicago and now he succeeded in Montreal. Will these guys go somewhere else and just take off? Another guy I, I think they're mishandling is Vitaly Kravstov. He is their first overall pick from 2018. Hasn't really played at all. They wanted and needed him to come into this season and take over one of that top six role, top six role and produce. They're tight to the cap, these guys. They need these young guys to produce. And Gallant's a healthy scratch this guy. He had a little bit of a ear infection so he was out for a week but he's back and he's been a healthy scratch i think for seven or eight games in a row they were going to send him down to the minors but they are inserting him into the lineup tonight to play the ottawa senators just because they've been terrible lately and they want to see what this guy could do but an old school coach like gerard Gallant, he likes his players to play physical he likes his players to be disciplined and he wants his players to just I don't want to say robot-like, but play his style of hockey. 
And this is what he said about, I don't know, Kravstov? Is that how you say his name? This is what he said about Vitaly. He said, like I said to him earlier, show us your skill. Show us your work ethic. Just show us your game. He said that yesterday, going into tonight's, into tonight's game versus Ottawa. If I'm a first like first round pick, ninth overall from Russia, I don't want to be talking about my work ethic. I want you to put me on the first line, and I want you to leave me be. Is Gallant ruining this kid's career? He wasn't drafted to be an, a two-way player. This guy was drafted to be a highlight on the ice, give him the puck, let him dangle, Kirill Kaprizov, let him go. And he hasn't done anything in the NHL at all his whole career. He was drafted in 2008. He's done absolutely nothing. And now he's a healthy scratch in the NHL. What? Why? And now you're going to send him down to Hartford to gain some confidence? Are You, you think he's going to go down there and gain some confidence in Hartford, a Russian? He's like, no, I'm going to go back to the KHL and make $8 million a year. So, I don't know. Is is Gallant the right coach for this team? Even after what happened last year, where they just like came out of nowhere, is he the right guy for this job? It's a fair question because it's a lot of chatter about his his uh, job right now, and there's still plenty of head coaches that are not coaching teams right now. Barry Trotz, first and foremost, and that would love to probably have a roster like this. And I know that like you obviously aren't going to hit on every first round pick, but when you look at like what who the Rangers have between Kravstov, Lafreniere, and Kako, if even one of those guys is living up to his draft position, this team has no problem really whatsoever. And they're still, I mean, they'll still be fine. They'll be in the playoffs. They have arguably the best goal in the world. They have two of the top 10, 15 players in the world. Like they're incredible, but just like if one, one, if one of them plays up to his, his pedigree among those three first round picks, this team is running away with the Eastern conference. I bet. And instead they're just, they're floundering. They need a right winger. They need someone to play on the right side. They've had Jimmy Bessie. They got good. Yeah. They've they've had Vessi. They've had Goudreau. They've had everybody playing the right side. Lafreniere, nobody's worked. They've had Sammy Blaze for Pete's sake playing up on the right wing for the first two lines. Nobody has worked. You'll go out and create some space for Panarin's advantage, wouldn't you? They had Reeves. They didn't like that. They they want skill. Yeah. They 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 want someone who can, I don't know. I I don't get it. This time last year, this, this is how much of a slower start they have. They were 13-4-3 last year at this point of the season. They were the Boston Bruins last year where they just took everyone by surprise. Shesterkin was the MVP, and he carried that throughout the whole season. Will the Rangers make the playoffs, Tim? Right now, they're on the outside looking in. It's past Thanksgiving. Will they jump up into the playoff position and take Pittsburgh's spot, take Detroit's spot, take the Islanders, Carolina? Are they going to jump back in the playoffs? Yes, without a doubt. I would say without a doubt. And again, they're one of those teams we say this all the time. If they make the playoffs, they're they're dangerous. I don't care where they are in the, in the standings. I don't care who they're playing. They're they're probably a favorite against most teams in the East, even if they came in at a seven eighth seed. So, I would say yes, yes, they are. But the big question is Shesterkin, and and he's not playing poorly. He's ten and four in the year. His numbers are in, in say, goals against during the two save percentage is like nine thirteen, nine eleven, something like that. But he hasn't looked like the same goaltender as last year. And I was looking at his start, like the breakdown. He started 17 games and 10 of them, he's allowed either three or four goals. So more more often than not, he's letting at least three goals in, which is not MVP all-star caliber goaltending. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's pretty good. 
it's pretty good, but this is not what you're paying him for. And so this is the thing that I think he had a great comment where when he lost the other night, basically saying, I feel bad for the fans. This is all my fault, blah, 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 taking the ownership of it, which is good. It's what you want your star player to do. I think he'll turn it on. I think he'll go to, he'll go a stretch where he has three shutouts in five games or something. And he'll, he'll be right back in it probably, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't think it's just Durkin. Yeah. Last game versus the devils. I think he, if that was the goalie from last year, he saves four or five of those. Cause a lot of them were weak. They, they were just, like you said, they weren't Shesterkin like goals that he usually lets in, but I don't know. I don't know about this team, Tim. They had such high aspirations at the beginning of the season. The thing that scares me about this team and why maybe I'm questioning if they can turn it around. Their top guys are producing. They're getting points. Fox is playing fantastic. He's a point per game defenseman, which is insane. Panarin scoring, Zabinajad scoring, Kreider's putting points on the board. Trochik is right there. What more can they do? Right? What what more do they need to do to succeed? If they're all playing their best hockey, if they're all producing, if they're all putting goals and assists and this and that, do you think all of a sudden their third and fourth line are going to be the difference makers? Blaze, Gaudreau, Gautier, who's been playing pretty well this year, actually, but Lafreniere, Chittle, Kako, I, I just don't see where it comes from. Their defense hasn't been as strong as it was last year. I don't know. This is a good team, but if they're not winning, we, we talk about how strong this division is. I don't know. Well, you talk about, okay, the, the depth of the team. They have four players with 20 points or more. Like you said, the top guys are producing. Their starting goalie struggles or not. He's 10-4 and four in the year. You're like, okay, this doesn't add up. You look further down the depth chart. Jaro Halak is their backup. He's 0-5. That is an issue. If you can't trust the – I mean, and he's not even – he's not this bad, but Halak's also a 40-year-old goaltender who maybe they need to find a better backup to give Shosturkin more off nights, a little bit less pressure, let him rest between starts a little bit and feel like you got a decent chance to win the game because that's – those are five important games and major important points they're missing out on with Halak in the net. I remember when the Sabres got him at the deadline. I was there. He, he sat down right beside me in the locker room. I'm like, you're going to unpack any of your stuff? He's like, I won't be here long. Yeah. And he, he was traded the next day. So uh, I don't think, I don't know. You got to have a good backup. I don't think the backup's the issue. I don't know. The, the season doesn't seem like it was last year where they were getting all the breaks. Their shooting percentage was through the roof. Shesterkin was making highlight reel saves. Everybody just seems like they've settled in and maybe teams are playing them harder. It's like, we're going into New York. New York's a good team. Uh, we got to play harder, whatever it is. They need to do something different. They need to focus on their game, play a little better defense. Shesterkin, I don't know. I think they will make the playoffs, but it's not as clear cut as the next team we're going to talk about, the Florida Panthers. Much is the same as the New York Rangers, a team coming into this season after just a tremendous previous year. President's Trophy, Stanley Cup contenders, they were going to take the next step. And they're not. They have also lost their third straight. They are also 5-8 and eight in November. They are also out of the playoff picture. Their star Russian goaltender is also struggling. What's going on in Florida, Tim? I don't... <laughs> This is this is the tougher one to kind of wrap my head around. I don't know that I have an answer. I haven't watched all the games. Bobrovsky is definitely struggling, like you mentioned. But friend of the show, Spencer Knight, has been 
kind of a he's been pretty well. He's been pretty solid. He's played pretty well. I wouldn't say he's he's taken over the reins or anything like that or given them what they need every single night, but he's been pretty solid on the year. It's it's hard to figure out because Matthew Kachuk has looked great. It's not a matter of like, well, they lost Huberdeau, they bring in fresh faces, they lost Wegar. Maybe it's not working, but Huberdeau and Wegar are both really struggling in Calgary. So it's not I don't think it's that. It could be a chemistry thing. It could be a depth thing. It could be a divisional thing. It could be a little bit of all of those things, but I don't know. It's this team that should be winning games and they're not. Yeah, they're fifth in the Atlantic. I think they're 10th in the East, maybe even 11th in the East. So they, they're not playing well. And yeah, the Kachuk trade, I think if you just looked at it right now, Florida wins that trade hands down. Huberto's playing garbage. She went from 115 points last year. I think he's on pace for 35. So he is struggling. He had a golden assist the other night when uh, Florida came into Calgary. So maybe that's the tipping point. He kind of exercises demons there and shoved it to his old team. Maybe that will help him kickstart his game. But I think the reason the Florida Panthers are not winning is they just overhauled the way they played this year. Last year, everything went right. They scored over four goals a game. They were the Harlem Globetrotters of the NHL. They were run and gun. They were flashy. They were finesse. Everything went in the back of the net for them. And they still got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. They still were just easily. See you later. They didn't even. The playoffs were non-existent for them. So I enjoyed what they did this offseason. They said, we're not going to continue just to be a high end, fast flying team and then just get bounced in the playoffs again. They, They changed up their system. They got rid of Uyghur. That was a casualty. They got rid of Huberto. They bring in Matthew Kachuk, who is a game changer. He will change the culture in your locker room on the ice. He will force guys to get out of their comfort zone. He will force you into scrums. He will make your team tougher just by his antics and how he plays the game. And I think people are having a little adjustment period to that right now. They went from just being, like I said, we're not going to go to the net. We're not going to go in the corners. We're going to be a a transition type team. Now they are dump the puck in the corner. We're going to play physical. We're going to get lots of shots from the point. We're going to have net front presence. We're going to get in scrums after the whistle. This is our mentality now. And they're getting chances. They're just not scoring. So the change of the system, they have the lowest shooting percentage in the league. These are the two downfalls of the Florida Panthers right now. I think they'll be fine. I'm not as worried about the Florida Panthers as I am about the New York Rangers. I think the Panthers will figure it out. It's going to take them a little bit more time. I do think they will be in the top three when it comes to the end of the day in the Atlantic. It'll be them. It'll be Toronto. It'll be Boston. Everybody will be fine. But it's taking a little bit of time. I think people are adjusting to Matthew Kachuk. He's a very polarizing player, especially when you contrast him to a Jonathan Huberto, who was just low maintenance. Give me the puck. I'm going to dangle. I'm going to create space. I'm going to make you look fantastic because you're going to be back door. I'm going to put it right on your tape. Kachuk is going to drive through two defensemen. He's going to spit in your face along the way. He's going to bowl the goalie over. He's going to take a two-minute penalty, and he's going to score when he gets out of the box. And he's going to chirp the opposing team bench on the way as he's celebrating his goal. They're completely different people, too. So it's taking a little bit of time maybe for these guys to adjust. Is it a fair comparison to say the Huberdeau is like one of the Sedins and and Kachuk's like an Aginla, where they both could get 100 points, but they're they're getting that 100 points in very, very different ways? Very completely different ways. Which one's more effective? Is it Kachuk who brings more? Is it Huberto who makes, I, gosh, I thought the Panthers got just 
taken to the cleaners on this trade this offseason. I thought Calgary just won this trade hands down. I was wrong. Matthew Kachuk, the more I watch him, the more I see from him. He does a little bit of everything. Just, he scores, he pisses you off, he gets in on the forecheck, he's back defensively. He's a heck of a player. He, these Kachuk brothers, they both are really good. I think because of their antics, people overshadow how good they are offensively. They're both really good offensively gifted players. Well, I want to just one more thing on this team. We talked about Uyghur as well, who was just had a major breakout year last year, and he's actually struggled a lot. And you think with Ekblad also going down, um, who missed a good chunk of the season, he's back now, but he missed a good chunk of the season earlier this year. You would think they'd have a huge gap on defense, but who stepped up but Brandon Montour, who they acquired last year in the trade from um, the Anaheim. And he's played, he's got 20 points, John. He has 20 points while also being a big physical body. He kills penalties. He plays all minutes. He's, it's just crazy how how much, like, it's just the next guy up. And not a lot of teams that can do that. But And Ekblad, by the way, he's got six, seven points in eight games or something like that, too. He's playing really well. Yeah, they'll be fine. And also what didn't help was Anthony Duclair going down in training camp. Didn't he tear his Achilles? Yeah, ACL, something like that. Something like that. So that that's a big loss. He was a big part of that team. Then Barkov's been injured. He's out right now. I think I think the Panthers, they figure it out. They'll make the playoffs. I think this is good for them. A little bit of adversity. Last year was too easy. Everything came just on a silver platter. They were winning games seven to two. They'd go down five to one. They'd come back and win eight to five. I think they'll be fine. Losing Mason Marchment maybe didn't help. But, you know, that's what happens when you're a good team. You lose some good players and you find a way to win. We'll see if they can find a way to win. The good thing is Bobrovsky, even if he does suck, like you said, friend of the show, Spencer Knight, he's looked very, very good. All right. On the other side of the coin, Tim, Montreal Canadiens. Maybe many people expect them to struggle this year. Many people thought they'd be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Not me. I thought they'd be good. I said in the preseason podcast, who do we have on from the Canadiens? We had somebody. Can't remember who. Well, Sherby Doc, friend of the show. He came on. I said, you guys are going to have a great year. Lo and behold, I was right. And the guy leading the ship is the aforementioned Kirby Doc. He's got 17 points to him. He is dragging Suzuki and Caulfield up and down the ice. Those two bums. He has willed them to 24 and 21 points respectively. We talked about the last episode. Are they the best line in hockey? Maybe. Are they the best line in hockey where all of them are under 23? I think so. They're a pretty dangerous team. Pretty dangerous line. Imagine if these guys are together, this line, for the next five years. It's a, it's incredible. Future cap. That would be a problem. Yeah. They're out, out of the basement, Tim. They're six and four in their last 10. They are playing very well. They're obviously a top heavy team. Like we talked about this first line. Is the Montreal Canadiens chances of making the playoffs increased or are they still a few years off? Tell us about the Montreal Canadiens, Tim. This feels like a bit of a mirage for me. I I, I like this team. I think they're probably one of the more likable young teams in the in the whole league. And so I, I'm glad that they're playing well. Obviously, I'm always rooting for Kirby Doc, but this team is really not that good. It really isn't. They're so I don't I don't know. I think maybe Edmonton. I can't imagine many other teams being this top heavy. Where you look at the first line, Suzuki, Caulfield, Doc, they've got 24, 21, 17 points respectively. You got a little bit of a gap in Sean Monahan, another newcomer, got 14 points, and then no one else is even in double digits. No one else is contributing offensively, really. 
at all outside of this line. You you basically were relying on one or two goals from that top line, hope that someone else on the team pitches in a goal every game and then try to score three or four that way. And it's just, it's a hard way to win hockey games. And on the flip side of that, the goaltending has not been great either. Jake Allen's got the bulk of the starts. He's got 14. He's letting in three and a half goals a game. Montembleau or whoever you say it was really bad last year behind Jake Allen. And he's played a little bit better, but he's only started eight games. He's five and two, two, four, eight, say, percentage so he's playing a little bit better but it's hard to see when your team when you're relying on this few players to produce for you and those players are young and your goaltending isn't good it's hard to believe that this is a trend that's going to keep happening i think i think this will all come crumbling down at some point i could be wrong or or will those veterans start to produce like joel armia is not a zero point guy over 11 games he is a decent hockey player who could get you should get you 20 30 percent 20, 30 points, excuse me. He's not <laughs> that guy. Sean Monahan is having an okay season. Josh Anderson, he's struggling. Can he continue to not produce? He's got seven points in 20 games. He's better than that. Are we looking at the glass half empty, Tim, when we should be looking at it half full? You know what I mean? They, they've been they've been getting along just on their first line, but when you look at the guys who aren't producing, they've been around this league. They know how to put points in the net. Anderson, Monahan, Dadanov, Dvorak, Gallagher, Armia. They aren't nobodies. Maybe they're not all in their prime anymore, but they still have something left to give. So you know me. I'm an eternal optimist. I always Anderson. try to find the good in everything. <laughs> yeah, so, sure you do. Um, I, I, I don't know, Tim. I, I think I think the Canadians are going to be okay. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I'm not getting crazy, but they might put a scare in somebody. I think they're a hard out. I like this team. And yeah, the goaltending has just been suspect. Expected. These guys aren't good goaltenders. But I like the Canadians. I think this is a good building block for them. They have their core that they're going to build around. It's their first line. That's their future. They're getting good experience. They're getting good points. I'm not going to write them off yet because I do think they're going to continue to win. They'll be above 500 when the season's over. Okay. Josh Anderson. When he's on, he's, this is his third season in Montreal. The first year, 24 points in 52 games. The second year, 32 points in 69 games. So it's below, he's below where 41 point pays have, you know. And this year, seven points in 20 games. And John, he's in year three of a, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, seven year contract. He's got four more years after this year, making 5.5. This is, he's got to deliver. This could be something that, that handcuffs them for a long time if they, if he doesn't figure it out. Yeah. This was the big trade, right? They got rid of Max Domi, picked up Josh Anderson. He was, he was very highly coveted. Big yeah. forward, big body. He's, a, he's a playoff type of player. Six, three, 230 pounds. This is the guy you wanted. I, I he's not a point producer. So him not getting points doesn't really bother me. His highest point total when he was with Columbus was 47. The next year, he only had four. So I know he was injured, but he had four points in 26 games. So it's not like he's expected to be a point per game or even a point every other game type of player. What concerns me is just his engagement level. Some games, he's he's fully unengaged, and he's a difference maker. Then there's three or four games when you just don't even notice them. And if you're making $5.5 million a year and you're not 
putting points on the board and you can't get engaged physically and do different things to help your team, you, you got to go. You, you have to go. He would be a guy I would expect them to move at the deadline if they can. Players like Dadanov won't be there very long. Dvorak, they're going to try to move. If I am Kent Hughes and I'm coming into this trade deadline here, I'm looking at my team. I am selling everybody but those three guys that I mentioned. Suzuki, Caulfield, and whatever the other guy is on the, on the first line. Doc. I'm drawing Doc. a blank. Doc. Friend of the show, Kirby Doc. He, and then they're ruining Slavovsky's career. I can't stand GMs when they do this. This guy's playing on the fourth line, Tim. He's been struggling, and now he's locked in there for the whole season. You can't sit him down because he's only 18 years old. <sighs> that bothers me. Anyways. Montreal. Anything else to add on this team? It's stuff like that frustrates me to no end. I don't even want to start talking about it because you're just ruining your first overall draft pick. Why even bother having him on the team? Play him on the fourth line. Give him seven minutes a game. Let him play with Michael Pizzetta, friend of the show. He he he's not a fourth line. Is there an echo in here? I feel like I say this all the time about GMs ruining high end guys. Why even play him, Tim? What's the point? Send them back to the juniors. Let them get some confidence. More importantly, you don't burn a year of their entry-level contracts, which are coming more and more important because these guys sign these massive deals in year four. Gone are the days when they would sign their ELCs for three years. Then they would sign another deal for three years that was manageable, one or $2 million. Then they would get the big ticket. Those deals are gone. Now we're seeing deals like the Dallas Stars, like the Ottawa Senators, all of these teams are handing out massive amounts of money to these young kids, hoping that they can cash in on it when they're three, four years down the road in their contract and they can, you know, benefit from those deals. <sighs> You're losing a year of Slavkovsky, Slavkovsky, Slavkovsky. Stuff is so dumb. It's just a rookie mistake from Kent Hughes. I'm upset. You know what I do when I'm upset, Tim? What do you do? I eat my, I eat my pain. And, I, and when I eat, I use DoorDash because I don't want to make food when I'm upset. I break dishes and it's not a good scene in my kitchen. So I'm going to use DoorDash and I use our promo code GlovesDDUS. I get 25% off. I get free delivery. It's a fantastic deal. It takes the edge off me when I'm upset. I get a nice juicy burger. I get them to pick up a six pack of beer. It's a win-win and I save money. And it's fantastic because DoorDash is a fantastic company. They get you your food. They get you your beers, they get you whatever you want, and they get it to you fast how you want it, when you want it, and you get a little discount because of our podcast. It's the only deal that I know of that gives you this kind of deal, Tim. Other other podcasts, other companies, they get 5%, 10%. Dropping the gloves gives you 25% off of free delivery. It's unbelievable. You should do it, too. If you're in Canada, the promo code is GLOVESDD. If you're in the United States, it's GLOVESDDUS. If you're in Brazil... I don't know what it is. Just try both. See if it works. But we are an international podcast. Don't you forget it. DoorDash. (laughs) Gloves DD. U.S. Gloves DD. Moving on, Tim. Dallas Stars. Big signing. Who got got some do-re-me in Dallas, Tim? Yeah, Rupe Hint signed a deal yesterday. Eight years at 8.45. And the gut reaction for most people seems to be this is a really team-friendly deal. I think he's probably an up-and-coming legit star in the making if he's not there already. In the last three years, he's played 130, 143 games. He's got 139 points in that stretch. So basically been a point-per-game player. 
for three years and he's still only 25 years old. So I think it's probably a great deal. It's a lot of money. It's definitely there's some risk attached to it just because he he is still young. He's still got some stuff to prove, but I think the talent is clearly there. And in more than that, he had 37 goals last year and he's got great chemistry with a guy who's becoming arguably a top 10, if not higher player in Jason Robertson. So I think it's probably a good deal for both team and player, but what, what was your reaction to it? Love the deal. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. And I, I'm usually a very big critic when, when you give up big money, but this guy's earned it. Like you just mentioned all his stats. He's, he's a fantastic hockey player. I mean, he's only getting better. That first line, keep them together as long as you can. The Dallas stars have not so quietly Tim put together a very good hockey team and they have set themselves up for success for years on end. This is a team that is, is, looking great and once you factor in if you can some i say it every season beating it beating a drum here if you could somehow get away from sagan or ben this team would be so incredibly dangerous you got robertson locked up you got mason marchment locked up you got rupe hints locked up you got miro heiskanen locked up you got lindell you got ryan Suter. you got ottinger all of these guys are locked up to deals that are very reasonable when you compare them to other players in their market value jason robertson only making 7.75 is a fan. It's a phenomenal deal, Tim. He's a 50 goal scorer. The guy should be making $11 million. And you got him locked up for another four years. And now you can get his line mate, Rupe Hints, locked up for eight years at $8.45 million when the cap's going to go up next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. His deal will look so good when he's getting 100 points a year and he's making 8.45 and he should be making $12, $13 million. So uh, Jim Nill is. He's a very good GM, very underrated. And I and I knocked the Sagan and Ben contracts. They were good when he signed them. They produced the first few years of those contracts. Jamie Ben, that was a good deal when they signed it, but they just haven't lived up to to the deals. But other than those two, man, I, I like the Dallas Stars. And they are well go ahead. Jamie Ben has had an excellent year. I don't know if you've if you've seen this. In 23 games, he has 10 goals, 16 assists, 26 points. He is producing on the power play. He's had a very, very quietly a very good year. If you're playing fantasy, he's been the top 50 player all season long. I think, I mean, if if he's doing what he's doing, obviously they still want more from Sagan, just four goals, 18 points. But even that's pretty solid. And then you can rely on the Robertsons and Pavelski, who keeps like the little engine that could. He just keeps going and going. And so... I am totally buying into this team being a legit cup contender this year. But like you mentioned, they have their core locked up. Most of them 23 and under. Heisken and Ottinger, Robertson, Hintz is the old man, quote unquote, at 25, 26. They're all locked up for several more years. You got to think this team's going to be dangerous. And and Jim Nill putting on a clinic on of what, what it looks like to lock up your best stars for a great term and take the, I would say, healthy risk on players like a Robertson, like a Hintz where it works out in your favor um, to take that risk. What's their weakness? Are they the best team in the West? We we don't talk about Dallas enough. What they're doing this season, are they the best team in the West, Tim? Um, they very might, they might be. It's hard to say that like you'd pick them over at Colorado, for example, but 
They very well might be. They're third in the standings right now. I think they're better than the team directly ahead of them, which is the Seattle Kraken. I think they're better by leaps and bounds probably than the teams directly behind them, Winnipeg and Los Angeles. I think it's still, we say it all the time, I think it's still Vegas, Dallas, and Colorado are probably the teams to beat. I don't know about Edmonton, Calgary will be in the mix too. But yeah, to answer your question, I think they could be the team to beat in this division. Coming into the deadline. I mean, yeah. Coming into the deadline, you're Jim Nil. What do you need the most? When you look at my roster, do you need a defenseman? Do you need a forward? Do you need a backup just in case Ottinger struggles? I think Scott Wedwood is pretty serviceable as a backup. What's what's on your wish list coming into the the deadline? I know I'm talking about the deadline when we just start past Thanksgiving, but you know, you gotta you gotta have these conversations when you're a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, I mean, this team doesn't have any glaring needs. I think they've all played pretty well. I think they'd like to see more offense out of Heiskanen, who's, again, solid 16 points in 20 games is very good, but he's not scoring a lot. And he doesn't, I would like to see more out of him, I think. And so, or bringing another guy takes some offensive pressure off of him because there's a pretty significant drop off offensively after him. Asa Lindell is the next one with eight points. And so, yeah, I think bringing in a little bit, if there's a need that they have, it would be on the defensive end. You know you've got guys like Ryan Suter who's still at he's played every game this year at his age. He can log those heavy minutes. He can be the responsible two way guy. He can take care of his own zone. You've got positions like that locked up. So I would say if if there is, it would be a little bit of more pop on the offensive side. Because you remember last year, in the last several years, I've had Klingberg, who's been very, very good. Last year was kind of a bad year for him. But in the past, he's been put up a lot of points. And they haven't really replaced that yet. So I think that's something where they would look if they made a move. But honestly, I would probably sit tight. I think these guys are legit as they are right now. I was actually just thinking he would be someone I would go and get. Why not go and get Klingberg? He's not going to sign in Anaheim. We know that. He's familiar with Dallas. He knows the system, knows the players. Maybe you kind of just give him a, a little knock. Say, hey, what, what what are we doing over there in Anaheim? Anything else on Rupe and Dallas to before we move on? Uh, no. Well, one other thing is that this is the probably a fair comparison for other contracts that need to be signed. The two glaring ones. Well, the biggest glaring one is Bo Horvat, who's going to be the difference is he'll be entering as as a UFA, and then you have Larkin doing Larkin. I think they're both going to look at it, this deal and say that's what they want. And maybe they'll shoot for a little higher, but I don't think they I don't think they would go for less. The big the difference being age. But you think you think of Horvat as an older player, but he's still what, 26, 27 too. He's still even though he's had the captaincy and been around forever. I just, yeah, just a note to say that that's probably what both of those two guys would expect in that range when they sign a new deal. They ain't making this much. Maybe Larkin Horvat. I don't think he touches. I don't think he touches who hints money. Do you think he'll get that that amount? I think he'll ask for it. Yeah, I don't I know. It depends on where he signs. Who who makes more, Larkin or Horvat? I would say Horvat, just because he'll be on the open market, um, and Larkin, I think, will stay in Detroit, but. It's hard to say. I don't know. I think Larkin. I think I think Larkin will definitely make. He'll be on the open market. Larkin. He's a UFA. Yeah, but I think he'll sign before the season's over. Uh, okay. I think Larkin will make more. Put a pin in this one. Let me know who wins this bet. Quick hits, Tim Samsonov starting tonight. Murray five one one on the year. The Leafs they figured out their goaltending situation. Move on, right? Yeah, they have. He's back for the first time since having that little uh, getting injured on Brad Marchand penalty shot like, you know, three-ish weeks ago. Um, and 
he was he was the better goal. He was playing incredible. I don't say incredible, but he was six zero and two or something like that. And um, and then Murray has been five one and one. I think he's five and zero and one since he returned from injury. So yeah, the Leafs are the good. And then Colgren. Hey, by the way, apparently his last name is pronounced Shalgren. That's what I've been saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the goaltenders they'll be fine. Another one. The Bruins beat Tampa last night. And they extended the the record for 13 wins at home to start the season, 13-0. Great game. Really good game. It felt like a playoff game against Tampa last night, um, but good for them. Oh, when when do they lose next? Because they got some big games coming up. They have a tough schedule. Saturday, Saturday they play Colorado at home. Monday they play Vegas at home. Do they lose either of those games? Um, I, I would If they do, it would be the Vegas game. Okay. But I, they could definitely win both of those games. Then they got the Islanders at home. These are three really good teams. Avalanche, Knights, Islanders. Do they lose any of those? And their next three games are all at home. I was going to say no, 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 go the, oh. the next two are at home and then another one. Then they go on the road and they come back and they play the Islanders, Kings, Blue Jackets, Panthers, Jets. I was th- when that whole Mitchell Miller thing happened like a few weeks ago and all this negative press, negative attention, negative energy was kind of swirling the team and they lost their next game. And I remember thinking like, this is going to suck the, the wind out of the team and they're going to, they're going to lose a handful of games in a row. I was totally wrong. They kept winning. It doesn't feel like they, they obviously can't do this forever. They're not going to go. What are they? They're 13. What are they now? 19 and three or something like that. It's not yeah. going to continue, but um, yeah, I wouldn't, if they lose two out of three of those games, I don't think it'll be that big a deal. I think they lose to Vegas. Yeah, that's my pick. Bruce Cassidy coming back. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Jack Eichel playing at home. Yeah. Big, big, big win for the uh, Golden Knights. All right. A game that was fantastic last night. I was on the edge of my seat. The The Seattle Kraken and the LA Kings combined for 17 goals, Tim. 9 8 final score in overtime. Burakovsky wins it for Seattle on a power play, 4 3. Did you catch any of this? Because the goalies weren't terrible. I know Peterson and Quick, they not strong. Jones played okay for Seattle. None of the goals were glaringly his fault. It was just a very well-played game for both offenses. With a lot of crisp passes, one-timers, cross-crease passes. It was fun to watch these games. Matty Beignets played fantastic. Kopitar, everybody played great. No, you know what I should have done? In a 17-goal game, who does not get a point (laughs) on each team? Because I know when I was playing, if my team would put up nine goals, which we did a few times, and I didn't get a point, I would be so, so upset. All right, for the Seattle Kraken, Donato didn't get one, Tanev, Schwartz, Kuhlman, and Gord. So a full two lines didn't get any points. And on the back end, Oleksky and Susi didn't get any points. For the Kings, it was Trevor Moore. Philip the no, Anderson, Kaliev, and Kupari. So another two full lines didn't get any points. And on the back end, everybody got a point except for Alex Edler. But gosh, that always irked me when I wouldn't get any points. And it was just points night for everybody else. Five points, two points, three points, this and that. But did you catch any of this game, Tim? Why was it so exciting? It was beautiful. I, I didn't just go to the West Coast thing. I woke up this morning. I saw that. And something has happened that had never happened to maybe anyone, but definitely not to me. I have Martin Jones on my fantasy team, and he was starting on my my roster last night. Eight goals against and the win. 
it's just that is insane. That is insane. Like it's going to ruin my stats for the week probably, but he still got the W, which is just a crazy, crazy thing. I don't know. It's fun. It's fun to see those games. You always see one or two a year where it's something like this and it's cool for them. And and Kraken win. What is that? Six wins in a row now. Yeah, they are playing fantastic in that just highly competitive Pacific division. They're in second place right now. So good for them. I would love to see them make the playoffs just just for that fan base, just for the franchise, just for the NHL to kind of get them, give them a little boost, get some playoff action going in Seattle for those fans. And, oh, I, I would just love to see Gary Bettman get a win because me and that I just I root for him all. the time. See what he said about Arizona. He's going to give him some time. He's going to let the it's just it's just so incredibly dumb. Get Arizona out of Arizona. All right. Anything else, Tim? I got a little tweet of the week to share. Love this the is, tweet uh, of the week. Yeah, this is from a listener. The account name on Twitter is Better Buffalo Hockey. You know, Kucherov gets as talented as he is. He's a bit of a, I wouldn't say dirty player, but he's a, he's got the stuff. He'll throw questionable hits. He'll throw an elbow up, all this stuff. And so uh, he, you got tweeted that last night. It said, when is the NHL going to learn that Kucherov is more of a dirty player than John Scott asking for a friend? What would you say to that? I would agree. I would I would wholeheartedly agree. I think So you agree player, that you're a dirty player? Oh, yeah. I, I played on the line. I, I have done some dirty things in my career. I'm not going to lie. But that's what was expected of me. I think players of that ilk get away with a lot more than players who are on the physical side of things, and that's fine. Yeah, Kucherov is dirty. He does dirty things. Elbows, knees, this this sort of thing. What did he do in Buffalo? Did you see the play that she's referencing or he's referencing? It was in Boston. Um, and no, he does stuff every day, though. If you watch him, he's always doing stuff like that. And, and I'm not knocking him. Like, if you can get away with it, like Marshawn does similar things, too, probably worse. Um, but, yeah, he he's definitely is a dirtier player. Speaking of Tampa Bay, Buffalo, did you see that silly Tage Thompson goal where he, he oh. picks off Chernak's pass to the middle and absolutely just undresses everybody, Brian Elliott, for the goal? It was insane. He only scores pretty goals. It's a crazy what he's doing. Like highlight real goal every week. He's six foot six and he's got the hands of a five foot six hockey player who's been just stick healing in a phone booth his whole life. You know he's how we were saying you, we've like made the joke before, like you and Gerby would combine to be the perfect hockey player. It's Tage Thompson. It could be Tage Thompson. Honestly, it's you and Gerby combined. It. <laughs> it is the hands. He uses <sighs> the hands in a way that tall guys usually like. They dream of of having those hands, and usually can't do it. And he's he's making it look easy. It, tall and even Mo Sider. He is tall. He has great hands. Nowhere near Tyler Myers. These types of players. I don't think we've seen a forward do what he's doing. Because we've seen highly skilled tall forwards, Eric Lindros or power forward. Tage Thompson, he plays like a power forward, but he's got the hands of, of a skill guy. Yeah. How tall is Malkin? A 6'3", probably. Six but Malkin, three, I would yeah. say, is more of a power forward. He doesn't. I would say Tage Thompson has better hands than Evgeny Malkin. He might. He might. He might. He's, a, he's a fun, fun player to watch, and he just... Made the lightning look silly. Absolutely silly. But that's it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We will check you on Friday. Have a good Wednesday. Have a good Thursday. Stay safe out there. Get warm. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.